Uh, yesterday morning, um, I woke up and uh, just I really just thought, man, I, I sure want to stay in bed today and just watch college football. Um, it's Saturday. Uh, I knew Texas was going to win, um, and we lost, but that's all right. But um, but the truth is, I had a full day yesterday, and, and I, I wasn't able to do that. And I, I, I met with a friend um, yesterday morning, just like one of my best friends in life. And, uh, and as soon as I left, uh, getting to meet with her and talk to her, I was, I was like, man, God just did so much for my spirit just now. And, and, and just how much he spoke to me and how thankful I was and full of praise. And, and then I went down to the park and, uh, and I want to encourage you guys. We have these cards available in the information center. Uh, we need to do more to kind of make everyone aware of this. There's a map on the back of the card, information, website, phone numbers, everything you need from one o'clock to four o'clock. Uh, we have a homeless ministry, uh, downtown at the park. I usually come at about two, two thirty. I don't know, but, um, Bob, uh, his, uh, watching him yesterday, it was an emotional day yesterday. Um, yeah, come on now. Skylar? Dude, my friend. Um, you just made my day. <laughs> Going down there at the park and um, seeing testimonies. As soon as he pulled up, um, I saw... John there, Maria, I saw you there yesterday. I saw the Martins there. I'm seeing more and more people from the body engaging in this. And it's so beautiful to me because as soon as you pulled up, an ambulance pulled up right in front of me. And, and we realized the battle that we're in, that it's not always when you come to church here or in a park. When you come to church, it's not always encouragement. There is so much darkness going on too, isn't there? And it doesn't matter when you're in the park or whether here, wherever it is, it's really the same thing. And I'm learning that more and more. Just like, there's a war going on. And I come and I realize that, that someone had just drunk themselves potentially to death and the ambulance was coming. And that I, there's so much negativity and there's darkness. And when I come, there's this, there's a part of me that's just like, man, I don't, and Skylar has always encouraged me though. I'm, man, I'm, since you're here, man, Skylar, I praise God for you, but I have to call you out, man. Uh, because the first, one of the first times I met him, you just like looked at me and you were like, man, get away from me. And I, and I was like, I'm a little intimidated. So I walked, and to see how God has worked in this man's life and how he lifts his God up in worship and praise and brings other people to Christ is, is absolutely incredible to me. And that's the thing is when we come and, and when we're there, it's so easy for me to just want to shrink into the shadows and say, man, I, I don't feel like engaging today. That's not what I feel like doing. But Satan never rests. He never rests. Darkness never rests. Discouragement never rests. And so we can't afford to. Paul said this to, to, to Philemon. He said, I pray that you would be more active in sharing your faith so that you would have a more full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And the reason that means so much more to me, he also he goes on and he says this, your love has given me great joy and encouragement, brother, because you have refreshed the heart of the saints I went from there and I got to spend time with the Bartlows. And some of you guys know the Bartlows, Terry and Gina. And I went to their house. And when we left their house, I was like, God just moved in through those people. And what I thought was going to be a full day, like, oh, man, I just want to stay home and play football. I ended up going home rested. I want to, I want to share this with you in just this image 
of, of this, this rock was the best thing I could find to kind of, to bring an image of what Isaiah 32 is saying. This is Isaiah 32, 1. See, a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. Each man will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Talking about the people of God's kingdom and saying, this is what my people are like. They're like a stream in the desert. They're like the shadow of a rock in a weary land. They bring refreshing to you, you know? And, and I remember just going home last night and thinking, my spirit was refreshed. And I, and I was thinking how easy it is in my life. And I don't want to get down on us too much. But it's true that, and I used the analogy of hiking and climbing a mountain last week, that it's true that sometimes you get tired and you just want to sit down and rest. And I respect that. And I want you to hear that. I respect that. And I need to do that as well. But the problem comes when you're doing that, when you sit down and rest and become idle too long, it's not healthy for you. And your view, if you're climbing a mountain, right, your view doesn't change either. You become stagnant and you look at others and reality through that lens. And that is the difficulty. When I become less active, you become darker. And, and, and the problem is, that is what happens in our life. And he says, man, brother, I want to ask that you become more active so that you have a better understanding of every good thing we have right now. If you talk about a shadow in a weary land, we're in a verse right now that Gary talked about Romans 8 this morning. If the New Testament is the glory of the Bible, and in a lot of people's minds, Romans is the glory of the New Testament... I say 2 Corinthians, it's all right. Then Romans 8. Romans 8 is, is, is everything. And if Romans 8 is everything, verse 28, man, that's the gem on top of everything. There's a problem with Romans 28. It's too popular. Uh, Romans 8, 28 is on every sweatshirt and hoodie and, and lunch pail, um, mouse pad there is. And there's a huge problem with it. We in this auditorium, we have two radically different translations of this verse. And so this verse that is the biggest, most popular verse, one of the most popular verses in the Bible, we think of it two different ways, depending on whether you're in the NIV version or whatever version you're in. They actually say very different things. I want to talk about that in a moment. We know this is, if you have the ESV, the New American Standard, the New Revised Standard, and the American Standard, this is likely what your Bible says. We know. Now, this is crazy because how he starts, he had just said what we don't know. We don't know how to pray as we ought. I don't know, but God is helping. He's interceding. And now he says this, but we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Huh. This is what some of your other Bibles say. If you have the NIV, the NCV, the... I can't remember what the GNT is. Good night translation. I don't know. Or good news, thank you. Uh, the RSV. 
And we, we know that in all things, God works for the good. Did you catch the difference between those two things? They are actually radically different messages, aren't they? One of them says this, no matter what happens in your life, it's part of God's plan. Now, I'm going to tell you that the majority of people that put this on bookmarks think that that's what it's supposed to say. Be careful about sharing that with somebody in a hospital. Be careful about sharing that with somebody going through dark pain. I had a friend of mine come to church here one time and he got really angry with me, got on to me. And he said, you need to be more bold when you're preaching and tell people that if there's darkness, if there's disaster in their life, that was what God did. And I was like, man, you're not a minister, are you? And I said, you're telling me if somebody's young daughter's violated, somebody's gone through something, you're going to look at them and say, God did that? And he said, absolutely, you tell them that. That's what happens when you get to, that's how translations become super important. And it's not just the Greek that we're at work with, it's the general context. That is not the message here. This verse is not saying, whatever happens in your life, know that God did that. He's saying this, in all things, God is working for your good. No matter what you're going through, God is there with you. He's by your side. He's going through this through you, with you, but he is at your side and he loves you. This is the key message of the chapter. The next difficult part of this is, is verse 29 and 30. It says this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, the, the, key, um, the key phrase here is, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined. Now, it's crazy to me that this is a controversial topic, right? We're talking about predestination. And for a lot of us, if somebody asks us, do you believe in predestination? It's amazing to me how many people say no. And I'm like, it, it does use the word predestined. In Ephesians 1 and Romans 8, that's what it says. We have to believe it. Um, the Greek word is almost the exact same word. That's what it is. You are predestined. The question is who, how, why, what is going on in this? Um, I grew up with an understanding of predestination that looked something like this. Uh, those God foreknew, he also predestined that it would be these red people here. And God chose me and selected me. Praise God, wow, you chose Jeff by name. But what does that mean? All the, all the other people, he selected for something much darker. And that we didn't have a choice in this whole situation. And this idea of understanding the text, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, has led to some weird ideas in the Bible. It's led to these ideas that there is no such thing as free will. It's led to the idea that which, which it was a good attempt to try to kind of rebuttal that, but we would come back and say, well, God already knew the people who were going to choose him, so he went ahead and chose the people who would choose him. And I'm like, I know what you're trying to do, but I have no clue what you just said, and I don't think you do either. I, 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 that doesn't make sense. What I want to show you is this. This is the theme of the book of Romans. It's a lot more simple. The Jews... This is the language the Jews used about them. We were foreknown by God. We were predestined to be his children. 
We, we were, we were in, 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 in Horeb. He gave us glory. He gave us redemption. We are the people of God. And now he keeps using this key word also. Those God foreknew, the Gentiles, he also predestined. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Also together with the Jews. So that the Jew and the Gentile together would become heirs. Not that certain people would go be chosen for heaven and other people chosen for hell. But simply this, my salvation has gone to the ends of the earth. For everyone, God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This idea, it has come to everyone. And so it's actually a much more simple idea. When we talk about predestination in the Bible, we're not talking about individuals. We're talking about the Gentiles as a whole. And it makes a lot more sense when you start thinking of it that way. And so we're just going to emphasize these words, also called, also justified, also glorified, that together we are heirs and we are children of God. And this is the comfort we're supposed to receive in this. I usually love the message translation, but if you have the message translation, I really don't like what it did with this verse. It actually goes this far in verse 28. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. And it just doesn't work out that way. It's not practical. That's not the what is in mind in Scripture. It's this. When disaster has struck your life, and some in this room right now are there, and you feel this and you know this, when disaster has struck your life, and you are up against major health issues, and you're up against the wall and you're just dying, God says, I am right here with you. And these are the two comforts I found in these, in these verses. The first is this. He has a purpose for your life. In Job 42, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In Psalm 57, David prays, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. In Proverbs 19, many are the plans of mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will end up standing And my belief is this, and I've emphasized this over and over, I hope, is that I believe God has a purpose, and your life was predestined for that purpose. However, you still have a choice in the matter. If I'm driving south on I-25, because Colorado is super simple, I'm destined for Denver. I have a a notorious ability to get lost even on I-25. That doesn't mean that's where you're going to end up. That just means that's where you're destined. God has a course for your life. And there's two things we can do. We can get off course and we can stop in our tracks. We can just stop in our tracks and not keep going forward. The second comfort I found is, is this, and this is more important. He is always working. God always working. John 5 says this. I love this. Jesus said this, right? My father is always at his work to this very day, and I am also working. That's what David had in mind in Psalm 23 when he said, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why? Because God is working. Did you know the night that that Israel was about to leave on the exodus? The night they were about to leave, it says God held vigil that night. 
He kept vigil over Israel. He kept watch. I'm working. I'm right here with you. And then there's a challenge. So the comfort I have in this is that God is with us. He comforts us and he's at work with us. And here's the challenge for us. He also wants to embolden and to empower us. You know how God spoke to Joshua? Don't be afraid, Joshua. I'm with you. He uses stronger language when he spoke to Jeremiah. And he said this, Jeremiah, don't be afraid. I need you to stand up and I need you to be bold. Don't be terrified by these people. And then God says this to Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah chapter 1. Or I will terrify you in front of those people. And it's actually not just a comfort. It's actually saying, no, this is what you will do. I need you to do this. And then this is the language God uses to him. And I hope you hear what I'm saying here. He says this, today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against this whole land, against the kings, against the princes, against the priests, against all the people of the land. And they will rise up against you but they will not conquer you because I am with you. Nothing will stand against you. And I look at this, this, these verses and I'm thinking this very verse, Romans eight, Romans eight, 28 through 29, these verses that were intended to bring so much comfort have brought so much pain because of what people have heard them saying. Well, if this is what's happening, God's saying this disaster is going to happen in this world. Disaster is going to happen in this life. He's going to go on in this chapter and say this, man. We are like sheep. We're being slaughtered all day long. We're suffering death. We're suffering persecution. Our marriages are under attack. Our lives are under attack. Our jobs are under attack. I'm, we talked about it this morning. I'm, from a, I'm, I'm, I'm being persecuted from the outside by people that don't even know they're persecuting me. I'm being persecuted from the outside. And I'm being persecuted from the inside as well. This is what's going on in my life, and most of it's in my own mind. Forget what anybody else is doing. Jeff is my biggest enemy. I know that. This is what's going on, and my prayer for me and my prayer for us this morning is this. You remember when when Elisha's with his servant, and the Arameans have surrounded them, and his servant just comes inside, and he goes, Ah, we're doomed. It's over. We're surrounded by all this junk. And he prays this prayer, oh my God, open his eyes. Open his eyes that he can see what's really happening. And I want to tell you this in the church today. I I believe this because we have different frustrations. It came out in class this morning. We have different frustrations. There's the frustration that God, we're not doing enough. Man, help me step out. Help me be more. Help me be radical outside these walls. Help me give myself. But then there's also the frustration. um, That we're overwhelmed with that kind of language. Discouraged. And don't really feel the promise that we are the children of God. That God is with us. That if he is on our side, that nothing else matters. That that's all that counts. When Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were brought into captivity in Daniel chapter 1, 
Their homes were destroyed and burned to the ground. Their temple was burned to the ground. Their city was razed. Their way of life was wiped out. They were mutilated. Their names were changed to godless names. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They were given a godless diet that violated their conscience. They were given a new culture. They were wrecked. I mean wrecked. And then they were brought to the flames of a fire, having lost everything. They, they needed a minister to come in and say, you know what? God is working everything. All of this is what God's trying to do. Which the crazy thing is in that scenario, God was working something pretty amazing through all of it. But they said this, in the midst of a fire, man, well, before they went to the fire, man, our God is completely capable of delivering us from you. But even if he doesn't, I'm not bowing down to your gods, man. I'm not doing it. And I'm going to the fire. And I thought about it, and that was just on my mind. And I was thinking, would I rather be in the fire with God than outside of the fire without him. Where would I rather be? Which of these scenarios would I rather be in? And this is the promise God is making in Romans 8, 28. Through it all, no matter what, in all things, God is for you. He's on your side as your son. And he is working for your good. That's going to come out a lot more in these following verses What shall we say to these things, man? What is my response to a message like this? If God is for us, who will stand against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Hear what he just said is this. I love you so much that I sacrificed my own son for you. And instead of thinking, look, isn't this the epitome of love? Yes, it is. Isn't this the epitome of love? Look at what I've done. The the bill's been paid. I mean, that's the way it is. God goes beyond that and he says this. If I was willing to go that far, how much more will I do anything for you? I am ready to meet whatever need you have. And you will suffer sickness, but I have healing. You will suffer persecution, but I have deliverance. You will suffer sin, but I have forgiveness. You will suffer death, but I have resurrection. I have responded to every single enemy that stands before you. And I have not promised you that you will not face those enemies. No, I have actually promised you that you will. But I have responded and I am ready and I'm going to carry you through every bit of it. I'm going to lift us up in prayer. And, and I know there are individuals in this room that I've been lifting up in prayer. Some of you, hopefully most of you, I've been lifting up just a prayer of thanksgiving because there are people in this room that have become shadows in a weary land to me. And I praise God for that. But I pray that for us as a body, because I believe this is true of every single one of us, that we could become in great danger in our own faith and how we impact others 
if we don't become more active in how we share our faith and that we don't become lazy in that. Because when that starts happening, anyone who knows me well knows I become a very dark version of myself. And I cannot allow that to happen. Oh my God, I just uh, want to come before you and I lift up your kingdom and I lift up your church and I pray that we would not be lazy. I pray, God, that our faith, the way we share with others, the way we embrace others, the way not only we celebrate the shadow in a weary land that others are, but, God, the way we, we, we want to be that for others. And I pray, God, that we would be more active. I want to lift up to you, God, just those that are here from the park this morning that are engaging in that ministry and that are reaching others. I ask a blessing over what we're doing. And I ask, God, that if there's anybody that's looking for a ministry and knows that they need to be more active just so they can clear their minds, I pray, God, that you would build and bless that ministry. Um, Bless your body in Fort Collins today. And I pray, God, that you would not allow your people to get caught up in biting and devouring one another. But, God, that we would wear our hands out, that we would dirty our knees, that we would callous our hands with your work. In the name of Christ, to come before you. Amen.